Welcome to season four of the podcast, Talking Journeys of Belonging to Blackness, with your host, India Lorik Wilmot. Welcome to another episode. Today's guest is Hollywood veteran actor, musician, activist, entrepreneur, and philanthropist, Malik Yoba. With over three decades of commitment to the arts, he has over 50 film credits that include the Disney movie classic, Cool Runnings, Copland, Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married 1 and 2, Soul Food, Betty and Coretta, and The Good Nurse. More than a dozen lead roles in network cable television series as seen in the groundbreaking police drama series, New York Undercover. He earned three NAACP Image Awards, Lee Daniels Empire, The First Wives Club, Blue Bloods, Designated Survivor, Girlfriends, Alphas, The Last OG, and Arrested Development, just to name a few. Also a musician singing and playing his guitar, Malik was once signed with Columbia Records and whose song, entitled Mistakes, off his debut album, aptly showcases his soulful voice. Most notable is Malik's decades activist work as a community and youth advocate that has led him to be engaged in a new entrepreneurial project as a real estate developer in New York City and Baltimore through his company, Yoba Development. This project will be featured in the forthcoming docuseries, The Real Estate Mixtape Volume 1, I Build New York which follows Malik and a cohort of youth as he navigates his first commercial real estate deal in New York City. A person with a dynamic personal and professional journey to date, we can't wait to learn more. So welcome, Malik. Good afternoon, sis. We have a lot of ground to cover. So are you ready? I'm ready. You have a really good voice for this, by the way. Well, back in the day, I used to do college radio. I won't tell you what my DJ name was. Well, we got- you just dropped your voice. You said it back in the day. I did college radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Right about now. Act one, call to adventure. This is a breakdown. Malik, as a bibliophile and storyteller, I personally appreciate a great narrative arc to a story. It often begins with the origin story of the protagonist's journey. But for you, your origin story begins before you were born. Your father, Abdullah, a jazz musician who was so inspired by the song Nature Boy, created a new name and identity for himself and his family. Yoba to mean the last of the slaves and a new generation. That's an incredible legacy on Black consciousness and Black freedom. So for you, how has the legacy of the name Yoba inspired you to focus your professional and personal efforts around community and youth advocacy? Well, first of all, I've done in 30-something years thousands of interviews, I think. That is one of the most astute questions I've ever been asked, so thank you. I just raised my arm. And there's a tattoo on it that says, build your own generator. So when they turn off the power, you still have lights. That's a direct quote from my father. And he drilled it into our heads. And even now our children, 12 or 13 grandkids, they've all heard it ad nauseum. And that's something I absolutely live by. Carry the strength of that intention 
last of the slaves, a new generation. As a kid, you get in trouble at school. And anytime you said, well, you know, it wasn't just me. I don't care about everybody else. I care about you. And so our father was always reminding us to think different, be different, don't follow the crowd, don't engage in slave-like behavior, mob mentality, just because everyone's wearing a certain thing or going to a certain place or saying a certain place, don't be like everybody else, be a leader. And so I think it's part nature and nurture. I think about that a lot, especially in building yoga development. If you look at the logo, there's six parts to it. The artist landed on that. I didn't ask him to do that. And I did the logo in 2017. I, I looked at it late last year and was like, oh, there's six of us and there's six parts to that heart. Uh, six kids, you know, my siblings and I. But I think a lot about what this legacy means, right? What does yoga development mean? Why did I build this company? Having a long history in entertainment. Why real estate? And it's a few things. One of the things is the first real estate we own is in our minds. As a lifelong advocate of young people, i.e. educator, I've always been investing and building and redeveloping mindsets. To start a real estate company, most people think you have to have money. And it is true, real estate is capital intensive business if you're talking sticks and bricks. But when I think about development, I think about community development, economic development, and that has to come first through education. And so our slogan, builder of people, places, and things, is that come to life. I'm going to build the people, the places, and then the things in that order. But I'm always going to start with the people. And funny enough, it was a billionaire friend of mine who's a big real estate developer in New York, who's one of those guys that would say, Malik, you don't really want to get in development. It's too capital intensive. Well, because you have the resources to spend a billion dollars just doing feasibility studies, 600 million before you even own the land, just because you're building at that scale, you're doing billion dollar projects. But for me, every year, if you look at the wealth gap of black folk, home ownership, we hover around 30, 38, 30 something percent versus say 64% for white folks or the poverty levels either remain the same or go up. And that's all mindset. Because when we grow up in physical environments that show us we don't give a fuck about you, this abandoned lot, this burnt down, dilapidated, blah, 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 everywhere there were red line communities in America, even in the Rust Belt, right? Everywhere we live where the physical environment doesn't support our mental well-being and our sense of self, those things have to go together. So I do not think I'd be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for my father mm. and what it meant to have that name, the mentality. Where we lived as kids, we lived in a few places, but one of the places, the last place I lived with him was co-op, moderate income. His union, 1199, were part of the sponsor or the developers of that four-building complex where people like Dame Dash grew up, Jim Jones. So it, it's deep and it's long, and I think about it all the time. What is that legacy? Who am I leaving this for? And I talk to my kids about, I'm building this for you, whether they <laughs> listen to me, whether they hear me or not. I work harder at this than I worked at anything, ever. When you have the mantra of your father talking about build your own generator, in many ways, your work, whether it's professional as well as personal, is about generation as well. 
So in addition to your dad being a jazz musician and obviously being very influential in terms of really thinking about the geopolitical space in which Black bodies traverse, right, which is pretty much the impetus of your entrepreneurship, your mom was also a creative. Mahmouda was a creative. She was an interior designer as well as an artist. Creativity surrounded you always, whether it was in music, arts, theater. So what was that moment that confirmed to you that the stage and the big or small screen is the professional path that you'd take? And even more specifically, why acting over the formal pursuit of music? My mother took me to see Alice in Wonderland when I was four. The magic of theater, the lights, the costumes, all those things made me go, wow, I want to be part of that. I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was a feeling. We didn't have TV growing up in my house. My father would take us to see films, allow us to go with our friends. But TV was not allowed because he didn't like the idea of white folks telling us how to think through their programming, right? Even shows Black people love, like Good Times and Sanford and Son and Jefferson. And he was like, nah, we're not doing that. We created at home and we wrote plays. There were still theater programs at school. I was always in the drama club from elementary to high school. In middle school, I was part of the Metropolitan Opera Children's Theater Guild, which was the professional opera would audition middle school kids and choose the ones they thought had something and teach us all about production, every aspect of it. And even at home, we would write plays and we would charge our parents or the neighbors to come see it. So even then, it was like this entrepreneurial spirit of we're going to make something we're going to build something. We're going to sell it, even if it was in the living room. So there was always that. And for me, it was just the pure love of acting, bringing words to life. Even as a little kid, there's a magic in that. I still experience to this day. And it's funny because most of my time now in the last couple of years has actually been spent in business. The hunger that I have for becoming a successful businessman, even though I've been a serial entrepreneur to varying degrees of success, I've never been able to really, really lock in because I'm always pulled away acting on something, using a portion of who I am to be somebody else. And so now it's about this is who I am and this is what I have to offer the world, like for real, for real. You know, there's an urgency that I feel that I haven't really felt before. In fact, acting chose me. I wasn't pursuing, I was pursuing music. I wrote the theme song for Cool Runnings. The song we sing in the movie. Enough people say, no, they can't believe Jimmy Carl, we have a bobsled team. I mean, I write that because <laughs> I know that, one, I was already a published musician with ASCAP since 91. I did that movie in 93. And that led to the record deal with Columbia. And just as a point of fact, that song that you referenced was from my debut. It was actually from an album that Destiny's Child was on, funny enough. I did a play called His Woman, His Wife, and they were just coming out. And they were on that same record. So fun little fact, me and Beyonce got it back in together. <laughs> so in terms of your own entrepreneurial spirit and talking about the ways in which you would perform at home as a child, you were still even thinking about royalties and ownership. 1,000%. That's why I did. Like, I wrote a song for my audition. Every Jamaican has a song in their heart, whether they can actually sing or not. I walked in with that as part of my secret weapon. I took all the character names and wrote a song. And then I would sing it on set. Producer comes over and goes, would you like to put that song in the movie? In my mind, I was like, exactly. That's why I'm singing it on set. Because I knew 
that that was a lane that I wanted to play in. So from writing the theme song to Cool Runnings, as you were just saying, and your cultural iconic role as NYPD Detective J.C. Williams with your co-star Michael DiLorenzo in the groundbreaking police drama New York Undercover, to then your role as Vernon Turner in Lee Daniels' TV show Empire with Terrence Howard and Taraji P. Henson. And... I didn't realize this. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the Lifetime movie, Betty and Coretta with Angela Angela Bassett. Bassett. You've been able to tap into the ethos represented in the fabric of American culture. So even though you may have some feelings about acting to be someone else, you've been able to successfully capture the spirit of what they represent. I'm incredibly grateful for that. What are some of the most important lessons you've learned to date? The journey of the actor, if you're just an actor, means that you're always waiting on someone to say, hey, here's an opportunity. Here's a script. Here's an audition. Here's an offer, whatever it might be, a meeting. And I didn't pursue acting because I hated the idea of other people telling me when I could work. The Mm. thing about being a musician, I could always just pick my guitar up and go to a cafe and do an open mic or a club or sing in the subway. Just create your music, make something and presented, and that always gave you an opportunity to be seen as a creative. In many ways, musicians and comedians have a lot more freedom, right? Comedian can go up in a comedy club five nights a week, five clubs a night in a city like a New York or LA and make a name for themselves. And pretty much every comic we appreciate, that's how it happened. Same thing with musicians, right? Made that demo and that created something. As an actor, it's harder to do that. You just don't write a monologue and just perform it somewhere. People, if you just did that, people like, this person's crazy, right? But I've never just been an actor, which is part of the answer to your first question, why theater and not music. I was chasing the music on the way to looking to be the next Bob Marley or Sam Cooke, who were my two favorite artists ever. You know, acting happened. Because I was working at the City Kids Foundation and we had a repertory company, I would hear about auditions. One summer, we ran out of money from the three-year grant that I was being paid by. And so I told my boss I would just volunteer anyway because I love working with young people and I could still be in the mix. And I wasn't part of the repertory company because I was more interested in helping to run that organization. And she made me the vice president at 23 because I showed some kind of aptitude besides just being creative. I was very entrepreneurial, even though I had no formal education in business It was just what I've been hustling since I was a kid. And I show up to work one day and there's a flyer on the wall talking about an audition for a movie. And I was like, oh, I could do that. Because I would always do that. Like if I heard about auditions in New York, I would go. But I wasn't like, I got to do this to get an agent. And I wasn't doing any of that. Right. I was fortunate that I saw this flyer, which led to a little independent film. This guy who wrote that film told me about an audition for a movie about the Jamaican bobsled team. And it was an open call. Went to that open call. Two months later, hey, can you fly to L.A. tomorrow to screen test? And for the screen test, I wrote the theme song. That's when I first pulled it out. I just sang it on set. It was an improv. And they said, you know, you run this race and you won. Celebrate. Enough people said, no, they can't believe you. Jamaica, we have a bobsled team. We have the one. That's how that happened. Looking back, this is the only way you really know that you have a career as an actor, for the most part. Mm. Even though that first movie, they locked you in for five pictures or three or whatever it was. I've only done one Disney film, right? There was, they didn't follow up with anything. 
sometimes when you get to a certain level in your career, like Marvel movies, people have projects in the pipeline, you know, oh, for the next three years when I finish this film or this TV thing, I'm going to go do this and this and that. And that happens at some points in my career where I'm doing one project and two others are lined up. But it's the not knowing part I've never been cool with. I've just been blessed that I have had a long run where things just continue to flow because it's very hard to find the right strategic people in the business. Agents typically are not very strategic depending on where they are and what agency they work for. Same thing with managers. I've always felt like I've been underrepresented from a business perspective because you're like, yo, this dude does this, 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 and this. Let's figure out how to strategize. You realize everybody doesn't have that thing. There are some of my peers that have managed to find those right people who are multifaceted and can play in different lanes and understand marketing and branding. And if you're a musician and an actor, let's make these connections. So for me, there's always been this burning desire for independence. I'm glad that the characters I've played, to your point, have been important to the culture. But I also believe that with all love and respect for everything I've already done, this particular real character that's one of one has yet to fully be expressed in his impact on the culture. Not the actor, Malik Yoba, as a being that was born to do great things. I've never felt that I've done great things yet. Do you think you've been able to fulfill your purpose in part through the arts, given the career that you've had? I mean, these are phenomenal things. You've worked with phenomenal people, other actors and directors and so forth. But it's interesting for you to feel like perhaps your purpose through the art hasn't been fulfilled. Parts of it have. Like Tom Brady retired twice. It's like, bro, you won seven Super Bowls. For real? You really think you still need it in that lane to show what you got? As an actor, absolutely, I feel like the talent is unlimited. My one-man show, for instance, I play 14-plus characters in that show. 99.9% of people in Hollywood have never seen it. And we're going to continue to present it to the world. And in fact, I'll be at Martha's Vineyard. I was just asked to perform it with the August Wilson Center out of Pittsburgh this summer to do a version at the Tabernacle where... Frederick Douglass gave his last speech. It could be something really, really special. It's supposed to be August 18th. I'm going to be up there that week because I'm supposed to be screening my real estate doc, doing another thing with Boston Medical Center around health and Black people, and then do my one-man show during that week in August. Those are North Stars I can look to because that's all shit I created. You know, I'm at a particular place in the journey. You've read off a portion of the credits but it's a weird relationship to something that belongs to somebody else. Mm. I didn't own that IP. I didn't create it. Even if I get residuals from that work, which I still do, <laughs> you know, it could literally be 0.01% or it could be $5,000 or whatever it might be. You get mailbox money every month. You just never know how much it's going to be. The more you work and the more credits you have, the more residuals you'll see. That still keeps going back to this whole premise around the legacy of your name as it relates to Black consciousness and Black freedom. Because a lot of what you're talking about in the ways in which you don't necessarily feel fulfilled 
The acting jobs themselves can be very constricting, even though there are benefits to them. However, you like the freedom of being independent and taking on projects because therefore you feel passionate in your purpose. I just got off the phone before you with Department of Education, selling my real estate curriculum, the first of its kind in New York City, for sure. I think something's happening in Philly and Detroit. I've read about recently. And then when I get off here, I'm going to awards for the United Federation of Teachers, you know, CTE awards for career technical education. Every day, I'm building a company. I'm building relationships, working on contracts with the federal government, with the city government, with state government, doing deals with other businesses. In fact, I would encourage everyone to listen to this podcast. I listened to it today. So, you know, Rob Deerdeck, if you ever watched Ridiculousness, mm-hmm. uh, he provides 60% of the content for MTV at this point. He started off with 20 episodes. Now he's at 500 episodes a year. He was talking about understanding the unit economics of it. Dude is a genius. I never knew how smart this brother is. His business game and how he has streamlined and automated his life for maximum impact. When I see someone like that, see Jay-Z, when I see my peers, particularly those that came up in the 90s, look at Jay, independent from day one. I've impacted the culture, but I feel incredibly limited by that one lane. However, I absolutely love it. Still, I'm doing Equalizer right now as a for instance. And it works because we shoot in Brooklyn, close to the crib. But last week, I'm shooting the scene and tapping into that thing that nothing else feels like. That thing that I'm really, really grateful for, which is to embody these memories and this story and this intention and this pain, whatever it might be. But there's a place that's transcendent that I experience both in music and in acting. That's precious. And I always want that to be part of the mix, but I'm on set on someone else's show. Now, I have a pilot I recently wrote with another brother named James Heggs from Brooklyn. I sketched out the entire first season five seasons, you know, treating it like a business, like this is where this goes. Because a lot of times in television, the network doesn't know, the creators of the show don't always know, because there's so many factors that figure into where you're going to take the story. But what I love about that process, back to ownership and legacy, it's set in the world of real estate. And it's another extension of Yoba development, which is not only builder of people, places and things, We're at the intersection of real estate, education, and media. Like the real estate mixtape, which is my doc series, that drives the education, the curriculum for the schools. But this pure entertainment, the wire meets billions, which is what this show is, that level of storytelling, that level of legacy and the impact on culture, all day long, I'm excited about that. Yes, I could be on set an equalizer. And I don't just want to act on the show. And everybody knows season four, I want to be in that chair directing. The reality is I've been a series regular in 14 series. Most people don't realize that. Some have gone six episodes. Some have just been a pilot. Some have been 10. Some have been 20 and they air two. So I've seen the TV game specifically from many, many different perspectives. From being the star of the show, that's number one on the call sheet, to being number six on the call sheet, being killed off being (laughs) inserted, you know, after the first season or replacing someone after a pilot was already shot. I've been replaced. So I've seen it. And the one thing that's consistent in HR shit. So for me, especially given how much I've done, you ain't never safe. 
You're never in a place of security because it's always contingent on someone else. So yes, part of my purpose. But when I'm on that call today with DOE, working on this contract and this budget so we can deliver these services to these young people in this city and around the country, that's really where it's at. When I die, I know you, like I was watching you last night, me and my brother watched you all, what's your name? Like, <laughs> it's also unnerving in, in some ways because you look at Mark Cuban, you're like, nah, that's that dude that built that shit. We got one life, just trying to rock out and max it out. Be what you want to see. Act two, The Road. I think most people, even listening, are actually more familiar with your acting career. And so they may not know that you've always been this entrepreneur, this community activist, this youth advocate and philanthropist. Balancing your professional career to work with, say, the Ethiopian Children's Village, City Kids, the African Angels Network, Boston Arts Academy, and one Brooklyn fund, just to name a few. And then you've been also talking with us about how you've established this real estate development company with the projects in New York City, as well as in Baltimore. So what do you see as some of the challenges Black and Brown youth face today? And how do you see your philanthropic and other business projects providing opportunities for overcoming some of these issues? I know that you spoke a little bit earlier about mindset and the importance of being free in one's mindset. But what do you think are some of the challenges and then opportunities in your work? I was talking about Rob Deerdick. The point I was going to make was, please listen to the Made My First Million podcast from like October 2021. I felt like it changed my life. Because my mindset shifted, I could feel it. There are times when somebody drops something on you, like, yo, that what you just said changed my whole trajectory because I'm doing what you just told me to do. And I'm going to connect with some of these resources you mentioned. And I'm going to think like this. Like, it literally changed my mindset. And I've been feeling that personally, the amount of knowledge that I'm gaining in the world of business, whether it's in finance, whether it's in politics, whether it's in working with bureaucrats, whatever it is, like I'm at this mind expansion period, which I love. I mean, you're a very educated woman, so you know, like where you started and all of a sudden you're at the other end, you're like, wow, I know some shit. <laughs> I received that and that shifted. So our signature event, which is called From the Ground Up, Flipping the Hood, it's the premier real estate development education activation for community. People will have access to how real estate development works, not how to come and flip a home, to, you know, buy your first or get. No, this is the ecosystem. This is bringing professionals, educators, investors, students together to shift mindset. Like every morning starts with mindfulness training and very intentional meditation, music, getting the mind and the spirit ready to receive the information you're going to get. And it's May 12th and 13th here in New York at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. It'll be about 500 people for the first one, and it will scale and grow and travel the country. But for me, when I think about purpose, it's that type of shit. 
because of City Kids and how I was able to learn to use the arts, why I work with Boston Arts Academy and the organizations that you mentioned, is because there's power in looking at things holistically and saying, when I think about wellness, I'm thinking about it from a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial perspective. And so we got to tap every aspect of who the person is so that we can engage you in a way you were supposed to be engaged in the first place. Because the reason why we are Black Girl Magic and Black Excellence, the reason why it's 50-year anniversary of hip-hop, because with nothing, we create shit that changes the world. There is an agenda that continues that says we don't deserve to belong, to access, to own. I'm like, fuck that. We're going to take it to the streets. You ain't got to wait till you go to Harvard or, you know, wherever. And the reality is with the internet, you can get all kinds of education from every Ivy League school because they all got podcasts. From Harvard to Stanford, I listen to them all. All these guests that come through, all the knowledge that you can gain. You ain't got to pay $45,000 a year, 80 for that if you hustle. Education is everywhere. And so for me, it's about creating these opportunities for us to grow collectively, to invest collectively, to win collectively. Because most of us for too long will be like, I'm going to go get my over here. You go figure that shit out on your own. Or I might drop a little something for you. But just based on how I'm made and what my experience is and who is poured into me, I have to create opportunities for other people. That's the legacy shit. That's why I could feel so unsettled and some of the other stuff, because if I'm giving you 12 to 16 hours of my day, then it's a challenge, unless that job really makes sense for me, because I already know what that is. And the thing about the actors, you always want that next bigger picture, that next one that's going to get you either more money, more clout, more opportunity, whatever it is, it's always about more that you want to get for you. For me, is more, how can I give more? So especially in this process of building urban development, when I pull up to the United Federation of Teachers dinner tonight, people are going to look at me like, yo, what's Malik Yoba doing here? People that invited me know why I'm there. And the same people I was just on the Zoom from Department of Education will be there. This ain't a hobby. Like, I'm letting you know I'm here to give and to pour into the lives of these young people. And by doing that, it's fulfilling for me on a level but it also puts me in position to receive. We exist and sustain ourselves in this imperialistic and capitalist society, this system that is very individualistic. However, when I hear you speak, you're talking about having a particular mindset that's very much community-oriented. It's understanding that we have linked fates in terms of, well, how is it that we are going to progress? Not just you progress as the individual, but how is it that we progress? So I get that in terms of the challenges and why you're looking to real estate development specifically, or even looking to education as the thing to empower us and empower our mindset. So therefore we can do, and we can receive, and we can give in these ways. Because I would think that notwithstanding all of these different situations and developments, as a community, as African-descended people on this side of the Atlantic, we should know better in terms of we're better together and we're stronger together, but yet still 
we're having issues that our Black and Brown youth continue to face in spite of seeing ways in which we've overcome, survived, and are making every effort to thrive and to build the kind of generational wealth and health and prosperity for generations to come. And yet still there's this gap. And to me, it makes it quite sad to know that these pervasive tropes and negative things that are put forth out there still infiltrate our mindset, even amongst the young people, even though we can see in spite of and despite these things, we can do well. And I get not everyone has the experience or have access. There's a lot of disparity, but still... I think it takes individuals like yourself and others who are constantly having to pour into our communities, particularly our youth, so that they can know and feel seen and heard and loved on. Yeah, it's interesting because the older I get, like when you're younger, you're so idealistic. Early 80s to early 90s, when I was heavy, you know, that was my whole life just working with young people all the time. I was so idealistic. I follow a lot of nature pages on Instagram. And it's always about eating the zebra, right? At the end of the day, there's always going to be that mammal reality is I'm going to chase you and I'm going to fucking eat you. (laughs) Because I dominate, period. They don't have the consciousness that we have. They have a different kind of consciousness. Because one thing about cats, big cats, they will go for that throat. It's amazing to watch. They know exactly how to attack to go right for the throat. And they will take you down no matter whether you're a giraffe, a zebra, a monkey, a crocodile, like (laughs) they eat everything. And I think in the human condition, there's X amount of us that have that. We got to eat everybody else Mm. because it's like a missing gene for people. It's extraordinary when you think about it from a global perspective. Like right now, when you think about Stephen Miller and Bannon have gone around the world to the Bolsonaro's in Brazil to, you know, homie in Hungary, to Turkey, to Syria, all around the world, your job is to dominate every fucking body, eat all the zebras you can. Mm. There's that consciousness that filters down even within our community, right? Idi Amin had that quality. We don't always know all of the stories of African leaders that just think it is their job to take everybody else's shit. So those of us, LeBron as an example, perfect example of doing it right doing it for the people i don't care what you say about the man like who's building the school who's put all your boys on uh, everybody's a millionaire i met rich paul in particular that dude like in 2005 when lebron was making that move to miami and we're at a party and he's a fan of new york undercover he was selling the t-shirts in the airport you know when he met maverick and just you know lebron and put him on it was a multimillionaire now because of the collective or earn your leisure, those dudes, right? There's a whole generation, Jay Morrison, like they get it. Like, yo, I'm gonna use this social media and I'm gonna push this thing out heavy. Right now, I haven't really been pushing it on social media at that level, but that will come because I've been busy behind the scenes just doing it, doing the work, working on curriculums, editing, creating content, doing business deals, getting development sites, like, bringing investment to other people's projects. I do that every single day. We have an equity crowdfunding platform called Invest Tank that's coming live in the next couple of months so that we can do just that, invest collectively, win collectively. So 
I think it's on us. It's why you're doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that you are also an advocate for Black men, health and wellness and vulnerability and healing. And I know that in part, your advocacy in this way has been informed by your own personal health challenge from last year, having an emergency quadruple bypass. And so tell us about your efforts and campaign around the power of walking for healing through the Open Hearts Club. So it was an affectionate term that my homie Dan Pearson and I called it. You know, old friends knew each other, but didn't know each other. Realized how much we didn't know each other when we started walking every day as part of my healing. That became a fellowship because he was going through a serious breakup that had him devastated. And he actually called me. He didn't know I was in the hospital. He kept calling my phone like at seven in the morning. And I was like, this Negro never calls this early. What is going on? And I answer and he's like, yo, and tells me what happened. I tell him what happened to me and then I had a walk as part of my healing. He was like, well, you know, I walk all the time. Mm. And then it became this thing. Other people joined and would take meetings and slowly, you know, as I was healing, it was extraordinary because I couldn't even walk without being super winded. You feel like your entire insides are collapsed. But it was a genetic predisposition, you know, talking about my mother and my father both had that surgery. I didn't know. I thought I was ahead of it working out, eating the way I did. And doing the math on that during quarantine, I sat for almost six months straight, almost every single day, 10, 12, 16 hours. Sometimes one day it was like 23 hours editing, organizing all my footage from my doc. So being that sedentary, even though I was riding my bike and doing other things, I think that certainly exacerbated my condition. But ultimately, yeah, I thought I had heartburn. I was filming The Last OG, finished work, took a bike ride, and rode my bike home. Felt something that felt like heartburn. And a series of tests later, both blood and scans revealed that I had blockage. They were like, "Um, sir, we need to admit you. And so now I have three birthdays. Born September 17th, got shot January 18th, 1983, and had heart surgery August 19th, 2021. You are a living testament to the importance of, yes, you can eat right, you can exercise, you can do all the things, but it's also important to be up on your wellness. Even when you think you are. My cardiologist, given my family history, could have been more aggressive with insisting that I had scans earlier. I didn't know to do that. Calcium readings could be within normal range. But there's a second reading for like heart and those arteries that I didn't know about. My numbers were off the charts. I would have hoped that a competent cardiologist would have said, hey, because I've had hypertension that I've managed, you know, since I was younger. Both my parents had that as well. So these genetic predispositions that have passed on. If by 53, I had the level of blockage, where was I at 40? Then I discovered, oh, chicken. And beef, I didn't really eat a lot of beef, but poultry and red meat, my body chemistry accelerated the production of calcium at a rate maybe 10 times greater than the average person. 
yeah. that speaks a lot to just inherent implicit bias that's within the field of medicine to begin with, because you can have a great physician who might feel that they're being very proactive based on what you self-report around your own health and care, but because there are inherent biases within just the protocols that physicians use to even advocate for their patients or just the fact that they're just not aware in their own training that, okay, if this patient of mine has this predisposition, then we need to go further. Some are just lazy as well, but I think your story really speaks to not only the inherency of biases, but just the importance of us as individuals because now we have access to platforms like WebMD or other portals that we can at least mm -hmm. put in the Googles. Just know when we go into these appointments to ask the best questions. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing an event tonight with the links of Arlington, Virginia, and things called blackdoctors.org. It's a whole health panel that I'll be on after the UFT awards. Last question. Where do you hope the state of our community will be in the next five to 10 years, given all the things that we talked about so far? We're going to be better off. We're going to all keep working, you know, fighting a good fight. I feel like there is an awakening. You can see it as dire as some situations are. Thank God for social media, because I think we get to see more people, yourself included. I think people are rising up in the ways that they can. I think interesting conversations happening with younger folk. I think we have an opportunity. I know I'm going to do my part. I don't know how much longer I got, but he lived in the matter. Get it, get it. Act three, where we land. So Malik, we're at the point of the show where I typically ask all of my guests if they can share any upcoming projects release. So if you may... If you can tell us or speak a little bit on your forthcoming autobiography or the documentary release date. Yeah, the real estate mixtape is active and I've been screening. I spent a lot of 2022 screening around New York and around the country pretty extensively. So it's been shared with a lot of communities and will continue to be. I did that content exclusively for schools, colleges and community. At some point, I might offer up the content online on yobadevelopment.com with the curriculum that can go with it, to, you know, so people can get that. But right now, it was intentionally done for education purposes in person or online with the students we serve and communities we serve. For the scripted piece, which I won't share the title yet, we're actively working on that. So I've got a really good creative team and... I'm really excited about that from a scripted show perspective. There's movies in the pipeline that I'm set to direct. Things in development take forever. And then there's real estate projects. So currently the Baltimore project, the La Cité developers are the lead developers on that. My boy, Dan Bythewood, who's cousin Reggie Rock Bythewood, married to Gina Bythewood. He's the one who really got me into development. So I'm still a, a partner in that Baltimore deal. Personally, though, I have stuff building in Boston area where you are, down to Georgia, Augusta. One of our partners is down there right now in Atlanta on something that I'm helping to bring some money to. So there's that. There's a bunch of shit. But the big thing, May 12th and 13th in New York at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, from the ground up, flipping the hood. There'll be information on yobadevelopment.com for that. Yeah. Equalizer, of course. Season three on there currently. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us here and sharing your journey of belonging to Blackness. I love what you're doing. I love your questions. I love the structure of your show. I love your voice doing it. So applaud you. The journey isn't over, but this episode is. To catch the latest, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at journeysb2b underscore podcast. Thanks for listening.